uncensored, unfiltered. You're listening to Richie Allen on the world's most popular independent news radio show. Uh, how are you doing? It's three o'clock exactly here in Salford at BBG Towers, the 29th of July, 2022. It's a bit muggy out. It tells me in the bottom right-hand corner of my screen that rain is coming. It isn't great. How are you? Are you in good form? It's nice to be chatting with you again. I'm looking forward to the next hour or thereabouts. Probably a bit more, by the way. So so thanks for joining me. Got a bit of chat coming your way. Some interesting stories. And, and maybe a bit more besides. and Mr. Big Stuff. Yeah, a question I've been asked quite a lot lately. What, why did you do it anyway? You didn't really need to change your studio, did you? It was fine the way it was, wasn't it? It's a really good question. It's a fair one. The answer is, yes, I, I didn't really need to do it, but I kind of had to do it. And I couldn't really explain it because I don't think I've got the vocabulary to do that. I genuinely don't. I needed a change. I needed a bit of a boost. And I decided the way to do that was to completely change the studio and digitize it. Go away from analog and and embrace digitalization. It took a bit longer than was anticipated. I genuinely apologize for that. But these things happen. And all that matters really is that I'm here now and that you're there now. Hey, listen, thanks so much to Paul Ripley of Fab Radio International. Do please pay him a visit via the pages of fabradiointernational.com or or just say hello to him on social media. He's a, an absolute gentleman. 
in every sense of the word. Lovely guy. Thanks to Paul for all of his help. Big shout out to Mark Boyerski as well of uh, markboyerski.com. A hugely influential guy and a great supporter of the Richie Allen Show, which is back now. It isn't back now, but it's back from Monday at five o'clock. That's uh, this coming Monday at five o'clock. I don't know what date it is. First of August, is it? Is Sunday the 31st of July, I think it is. So August 1st at five o'clock. But before that, if you're a fan of Sunday morning melodies and you shouldn't be a fan of anything, you should be a listener. If you do listen to that, that returns on Sunday at 10 o'clock, between 10 and noon. So things are kind of gradually getting back to normal. If you'd like to say hello to me today, do so via the website richieallen.co.uk use the comment live thing exclusively today please use that if you'd like to say hello to me and if you'd like to comment on something because I do have an armful of stories here that I think are worth chatting about today in a very light hearted way this Friday one more week to go one more week to go before Football returns, the Premier League. In fact, football returns this weekend, doesn't it? I think the championship kicks off this evening. I know you didn't come here to listen to me opine on the beautiful game, so I'll leave that there. So I've explained the upgrade then. It's done. I hope it's sounding well. We'll be fiddling with it today, tomorrow. But uh, I hope it's sounding well. I hope I'm coming off okay in your ears. Let's kick off today with uh, the most important story of the day, and that is that Rebecca Vardy, the wife, the wag of Jamie Vardy, the Leicester striker, formerly of England too, has lost her high court libel case against Colleen Rooney in the so-called Wagatha Christie trial. Don't panic. Don't panic. I'm messing around. I needed a bit of audio. (laughs) Don't panic. I'm not going to be talking about this sort of nonsense in the future. But I'm going to talk about it momentarily today, for sound reasons. And for sound reasons, Rebecca Vardy has lost. She took Colleen Rooney to court, didn't she? She accused Rooney of libeling her after Colleen Rooney went on Twitter and said, I know who's been leaking stories to the newspapers about me and my family. It's dot 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 Rebecca Vardy. Rebecca didn't like that, took her to court. Millions spent on lawyers, barristers and and, and agents and God knows what. But um, she's lost that libel case. The judge has ruled in favour of Colleen Rooney. The judge said it is likely that Rebecca Vardy's agent, Caroline Watt, did indeed pass stories onto the Sun newspaper and indeed with the help of her client, Rebecca Vardy. She says it's also likely that Vardy deliberately de- deleted WhatsApp messages and that her agent, Ms. Watt, deliberately dropped her phone into the sea to hide evidence, making key evidence unavailable. Let's listen to Dominic Cassiani from the BBC summing it up a short time ago. Hugely interesting, this. This is an absolutely massive defeat for Rebecca Vardy. Colleen Rooney could not have actually wished for a, a more... A higher win, really, because this what what we've got here is an absolute demolition of the claim against her, and effectively the judge saying that when she posted that she believed that you know, the, these leaks had come from Rebecca Vardy's account, that was not only substantially true, but on the balance of probabilities was true. Let me just talk take you through some of the legals here. The issue was that Rebecca Vardy told the court that in law she'd been defamed, and what that means is her reputation had been so damaged by uh, Colleen Rooney's post. It had some kind of lasting effect on her life and therefore she needed legal redress. What Colleen Rooney had to do as the defendant is prove that her post was essentially true and that the meaning of her post 
that uh, effectively Rebecca Vardy had missed, uh, had abused a position of trust as a friend, that that could be substantiated by the evidence. Let me take you to one of the critical findings here. The court found that it was necessary to treat uh, Rebecca Vardy's evidence with very considerable caution, determining that significant parts of her evidence were not credible. There were many occasions when the claimant's evidence, that's Rebecca Vardy, was manifestly inconsistent with the contemporaneous documentary evidence, evasive or implausible. Now, that's pretty damaging in the whole scheme of things. And uh, clearly, you know, the Rooney camp will be absolutely delighted by the outcome. The judgment goes on to make the point yeah. that, in essence, that the judge believes on the balance of probabilities, uh, Ms Vardy was working with her agent Caroline Watts to effectively get stories into the press. And the, the, the whole mystery of the disappearing uh, WhatsApp messages, which you will recall, and, and the disappearing phone, phone into the North Sea, the phone yes. which went to the yeah. North Sea, the judge raises real questions about where that evidence went. Yeah, the phone that went to the North Sea. Now, Jonathan Code is a media lawyer, and he reckons that the judge has effectively labelled Rebecca Vardy as a bit of a liar. It's a disaster for Rebecca Vardy, an absolute disaster. And what makes it even more tragic is that four times Colleen Rooney tried to settle this case. The judge told her that the case should be settled, but she's carried on. She's suffered terrible brand damage during the course of the cross-examination by David Sherborne, which I think is what won it, and she's lost. I mean, financially, she'll have to pay all of her costs, 70% of Colleen Rooney's costs, so well over two million quid, two, two and a half million, quite possibly. But more damaging is that she has been effectively branded a liar by, by, by the judgment. You know, you, you, she denied it in a witness box, she denied it under oath, and the judge found that she had done it. So it is very, very damaging for her reputation. Now it's all over. Her reputation is damaged, never to be recovered. Let's talk about something a bit more serious. Listen to this from BBC Radio 5 Live this morning. Hey, listen, in the two and a half two and three quarter weeks that we've been putting this studio together. I've not I've not not been paying attention to what's been going on. Climate is everywhere, isn't it? Obviously, uh, as well as COVID variants and bringing back mask wearing and all this sort of stuff. But this is really interesting. Rachel Burden presenting for the BBC this morning, talking about events in Germany to do with concerns, the Germans are concerned that the Ukraine war or the invasion of Ukraine and Russian messing around with gas flow and gas supplies might mean that gas might become scarce. Gas and oil might become scarce in the winter. So what to do about that? Listen to the BBC's Rachel Burden. Now we're going to turn our attention to something completely different. We're going to go to the German city of Hanover and that's because they have turned off the heating and switched to cold showers in all public buildings because of the Russian gas crisis that's going on at the moment. It is the first big city to take such drastic measures after Russia dramatically reduced Germany's gas supply. Uh, Germans have been told to expect sweeping gas reduction measures and extra charges on their energy bills. Let's find out a little more from Ajit Naranjan, who's a climate reporter based in Berlin. Morning, Ajit. How are you? Now, I found this very interesting. Ajit is a climate reporter and he's brought on to the BBC to talk about gas prices increasing due to war. Why would you bring a guy on? Who, who reports on climate change to talk about a geopolitical event, a war that is leading to the increase in gas prices. Well, the answer to that becomes apparent pretty quickly. Hey, very well. 
Thanks. Uh, so we were told that fairly extreme measures would have to be taken because of um, the restrictions in gas supply. But Hanover, is, is this the first city really to um, go out and, um, and issue edicts like this for public buildings? Yeah, exactly. So, I mean, since the war started, politicians have been fairly sluggish at trying to get Germans to save gas. I mean, Germany got half its gas from, half its gas from Russia last year, and since the war, that's gone down to about a third. But people still use a lot of gas. The country's very reliant on Russian gas. And other cities have kind of hinted towards some measures. I mean, some places, big cities like Berlin and Munich, have turned off some of the lights, lighting up big monuments um, this week. Small measures like that are in place, but Hanover is definitely the first one to kind of take on board a lot of the recommendations from experts about how we can cut gas usage quickly. Yeah, I've heard different estimates of how much you're going to have to cut gas usage by. Uh, something like 15% was a figure I heard. Is that about what you're looking at here? Right, so the gist of this is Russia threatening gas supplies is bad. A very high prices is really bad, but it could be turned to our advantage in the fight against climate change, which isn't happening. Well, it climate change all the time, but CO2, as produced by human activity, isn't doing anything to the climate. We know this to be true, you and I. So Russia threatening the supplies is bad. The war is bad, rationing and all that, but it might be used. It might be turned to our advantage to fight climate change if we get used to rationing it, it being gas and oil. A little bit more of this. Exactly. I mean, that's in line with what the European Commission's kind of recommending, but that's kind of, that's an average, right? And yeah. so, I mean, countries like Germany, I mean, they could go much, much harder, much faster. And I mean, just to give a bit of context, I think people sometimes don't realise how much saving energy helps. The International Energy Agency said at the start of the war that, I mean, if everyone in the EU just turned their thermostat down by one degree Celsius, that would save about 7%. And I mean, when you think about all these other measures that are happening on the political level, trying to source gas from Qatar, trying to build terminals to receive liquefied natural gas from the US, all of these things are happening. And kind of, I think a lot of the climate scientists I speak to feel like an obvious measure hasn't really been addressed very well yet. Yeah, it feels like the climate change agenda could be supercharged with an opportunity like this. Um, is it seen, I'm not as a positive because I, I appreciate people are really struggling with bills as well, but how is the German population taking to this and talking about it at the moment? Yeah, before we hear his take on how the Germans are taking it and what they are talking about, you've got to have caught that piece in the middle there from Burden. I can play it again for you. Come on, then. It feels like the climate change agenda could be supercharged with an opportunity like this. Wow. Uh, with an opportunity like this, she didn't call it the climate crisis. She didn't call it the climate change crisis or the climate emergency. She called it the climate change agenda because that's what it is. It feels like the climate change agenda... Could it's an agenda to change pretty much everything about how we live and how we go about our lives and what we do. And much more besides, isn't it? It's, it's an agenda. I've got to recommend again. I've got a, have I got a copy of it to hand? Well, I've got a copy of it. I don't have it to hand in the studio. But the, uh, the, the latest book, the book, the book from Professor Ian Plymer, the, the geologist, the legendary Australian geologist, is terrific. And I hope to have him on the Richie Allen Show very, very soon. So is there division in Germany over this 
news about having to lower thermostats and turn lights off and all of that to save money, you know, in the face of price hikes getting even worse in the winter and the dastardly Russians. What does he say about that, this guy? Yeah, so there's quite a lot of division. And I mean, I think it's probably not so different to what's happening in the UK. But essentially, you have on the one hand, people who are incredibly frustrated that Germany didn't just build out more renewable energy and reduce its reliance on Russian gas. And at the same time, then people are feeling like, oh, well, anything anything that's not directly 100% targeting reducing the energy bill is going to be a problem in the short term. And so there is definitely a bit of a split in how people are taking it and how it's being covered in the media. Um, I think the kind of overarching kind of message from the climate scientists is, well, basically anything you can do to reduce fossil fuel usage is helping Germany, it's helping the world, it's helping stop climate change. And these solutions overall are saving money, right? I mean, if you take measures to reduce gas consumption, when gas prices are getting much more expensive, then that's saving you money and it's also saving climate, uh, essentially. Yeah, could the crisis in Ukraine really be about such things? Could it? Could one aspect of it be about the climate change agenda? It, it could very well be the case. It might be the case. We've asked the question on the Richie Allen Show previously. What, um, how independent, how independently minded, how independently acting is the Russian president, Vladimir Putin? Um, in some corners of the mainstream light alternative media, they've given the Russian president, Vladimir Putin, and his government a pass on Ukraine, claiming that Russia is responding in a pretty legitimate way to many decades of encroachment by NATO on its territory. That's one argument when it comes to the Ukraine war. The Russians have been pushed and pushed and pushed and pushed. There is inevitably going to be a reaction from Putin. But then we've we've talked at length with people whose names don't come to mind specifically right now, the day that's in it, but those who talked about Putin and the World Economic Forum Young Leaders Programme, Putin during COVID. It's interesting, you can draw the parallel. They're saying that measures that might need to be taken to deal with, to deal with fossil fuel shortages because of Russia, and Russia turning off the taps, measures that could be taken to deal with a huge spike again in gas and oil prices this coming winter, that those measures... Well, amazingly enough, they help us to tackle climate change and 1.5 degrees and all of that. Now, if you remember, they said this around around the time of the first COVID lockdown, didn't they? They were certainly talking about it during the second and third COVID lockdowns. They were saying that, wow, look at what the lockdowns have done for, look at what they have done to reduce CO2 emissions. CO2 emissions have been drastically reduced because of lockdown. Isn't that very interesting? Your thoughts on all of this, dear listener, today, Friday, the 29th of July. Let me know your thoughts, richieallen.co.uk. I am Richie Allen. It's kind of nice to be back, kind of nice. I say kind of because I'm, I'm watching everything like a hawk here, as you can imagine. It kind of feels a little bit like driving a brand new car. That's what it feels like. Anywho, here's Tom Cochran for you. Life is a highway. Life is a box of chocolates. Never know what you're going to get.
one day and the next day gone Sometimes you bend, sometimes you stand Sometimes you turn your back to the wind There's a world outside the darkened door Where blues won't haunt you anymore With a brave eye free and love soul Come ride with me to the distant shore We won't hesitate Break down the garden gate There's not much time left today Tom Cochran, Life is a Highway. It's uh, Richie Allen with you this afternoon. Who else would it be? It's uh, coming up for 24 minutes past three. Got your comments to hand. I better read a few of them. I'm using my phone bizarrely to read them. I don't ordinarily use my phone. I use my laptop, but I can't. Just today. Jenny says we're not hearing a, a lot about peace talks, are we? It's almost like there are certain parties who don't want a peaceful conclusion anytime soon well the 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 hungarians i think i read 
in the Telegraph today, Victor Orban is pushing for some sort of peaceful resolution based on the inevitability of Russia gaining some territory in eastern Ukraine. Did you see that today? I did notice that there was scant mention of it on BBC Radio. There was certainly no mention of it on Sky or BBC Television. The the Hungarian President Orban, who's often referred to as the ultra-right-wing Orban because of his beliefs, his Christian beliefs and stuff like that, he's been saying that it's inevitable that Russia is going to hold on to some territory in eastern Ukraine. We should just get on with it, broker a deal, have a treaty, get it signed and get on with um, things the way they used to be, more or less. Yeah, did you see that? William Henderson, how are you doing, William? Anyone who thinks Putin is not a new world order puppet needs a brain scan. John, you've sent me something there. Hi, John, but I can't open the link on the phone right now. Uh, Ian says, these goons are telling people what's going on, the agenda, and how they're doing it. We just don't have enough people paying attention enough to see the scam, says Ian. Hi to Sean Brown, who's halfway through Ian Plymer's book, which, it's called Green Murder, isn't it? It's Green Murder, that's the one. He sent me a copy of it, which is very kind of him. As Scaramouche says, in May, the German government announced that they were de-industrialising and getting rid of gas and oil. Now they're blaming it on Russia, says Scaramouche. Uh, Colm says, where can he get a willy warmer for winter? Good question. Very good question. Scully says, Richie, I had to check in and hear the new sound. It sounds like the radio of yesteryear, like the 70s and 80s. Thanks, Scully. Daza says, welcome back. He says, you are correct about the football. The championship does begin this evening. He's going to watch the mighty Huddersfield town. Hopefully stick it up to Burnley. Come on, the Terriers, says Daza. I was going to ask you. I was going to put it out there. What is the nickname of Huddersfield town, which you've just told me? You anticipated that question beautifully there. Yeah, Burnley went down, didn't they? They sacked Sean Dyche and, and then they went down anyway. Hi to David Keane. How you doing, David? Nice to hear from you as well. Faisal says, funny how only in liable cases, uh, liable, does the judge take note when one party fortuitously loses evidence? See what you did there, Faisal. Yeah, it happens all the time, doesn't it? In criminal cases. It happens all the time in cases where we are led to believe that a lone wolf terrorist has run up to a bunch of people and stabbed them or done something Equally as horrible with a gun. Yeah, things do go missing. Pennywise, good evening, good afternoon, who's listening in Bulgaria. Thanks for your kind messages. I'm I'm really flying a little bit by the seat of my pants right now. I'm trying to read your messages on, on my phone, not on the computer, which I ordinarily would do. And that's because I forgot the password <laughs> on the computer. I'll have to figure it out, won't I? Hi to Tim. Uh, hi to uh, Pandora. Good evening, good afternoon to my friends Sophie and Andrew. And speaking of thanking people who've been hugely supportive of the programme over the years, none more so than uh, my French pals, French-based pals, Sophie's French, uh, Sophie and Andrew. Hope all is well there as well. We'll be speaking really soon. John Taylor. Hi, John. 
And to everyone else who's sending messages, I will get through to a few more of them. Hi to Beryl, and thanks for your kind words, Beryl, to Bridget as well, to Christopher. It is good to be chatting with you this afternoon. Don't forget the terrific Paul Ripley. Wonderful guy, hugely important in the in the history of this radio programme. Asher, it was back in 2014. I had decided in mid-2014 to leave London Tan and take my small family to Manchester to start again. And somebody said to me, you should go and speak to Paul Ripley at Fab Radio. Great guy, so he is. Met him outside a coffee shop very near to Fab Radio in Portland Street. Fell in love with the guy straight away. And we hatched a plan for world domination for Fab Radio and for the Richie Allen Show. Now, we're nowhere near it. In fact, I think we might be further back than we were in 2014. But he's been a a great guy. And without him, we wouldn't be here because I don't have access to an engineer, you see. But he's there all the time when needed. Lovely man. Do say hello to him on social media. Do check out fabradiointernational.com. 29 minutes past the hour. So it is interesting, isn't it? Yeah, so look, this this energy crisis, yeah, it's terrible. And Putin might play the real maggot come wintertime and make supplies even tighter. He might turn the screw. And you know what we need to do now is get ready for that. We need to begin rationing. Hmm. Funny enough, the Mail Online and the Times and the Telegraph are asking the question, they're posing the question, could Britain be forced to turn off the lights just like the Germans. And they're citing experts of sorts uh, who are warning that the UK might just have to dim the street lights in the winter and ban hot water in public, bil- in public buildings just like the Germans if the Russians choke the gas supplies, which, of course, will drive the prices up even further still. Let me read you a little bit of this from the Mail Online. Britain could follow Germany cities in switching off the hot water and the central heating in public buildings, not lighting monuments overnight because of the energy crisis. Berlin has plunged about 200 historic monuments and municipal buildings, such as the city's cathedral, the Old Palace, and Charlottenburg Palace into darkness overnight to save electricity, to store it up. And then we heard about Hanover. Other cities are now dimming streetlights, such as Weimar, or Weimar, Weimar, where they are coming on half an hour later. Mainz, where street lighting has been cut by half, and Augsburg, which is considering turning off some traffic lights. That'll be fun, won't it? And we heard all about Hanover and the mayor cutting energy use by 15% because of an imminent gas shortage. We heard all about that. Yes, training us. We're being trained. Are we being trained to accept the ongoing reality? Not the emergency reality, but the ongoing reality that we will be told that we must reduce our thermostats by maybe one degree, maybe two degrees. This all, we, we were speculating on this, you and me, back when when the first lockdown was imposed on us all back in 2020, back in March. You know, that eventually we see climate lockdowns. And a climate lockdown is going to look a little bit different than a COVID lockdown, but in other ways look the same. Like different in terms of it'll come in the guise of what we've just spoken about. You've got to reduce your thermostat. You can't have your radiators as warm as you ordinarily would. And if we all reduce our thermostats, if we bring them down a couple of degrees, well, we won't be putting out as much CO2. We won't use as much gas. And that is good for the planet and all the rest of it. And maybe you might think now that smart meters, 
I don't have a smart meter. My meter is digital. Here, we, we moved into this house, BBG Towers. It's called, officially, it was called BBG Towers before I moved here. It was an amazing coincidence, really. Moved here and there was a disconnected smart meter. The previous owners had a smart meter, but it was disconnected. So we have a digital meter, but it isn't a smart meter. It isn't kicking out any Wi-Fi. It's not connected to any, any grid anywhere. And we won't be having a smart meter. But, but wise men, many of whom, and women, who came on the Richie Allen show during the course of the last five, six, seven, eight years, they said, Richie, the smart meter, the internet of things, connectivity where everything in your home will be smart, will be connectable to the internet, is all about control, monitoring initially, and then controlling. You see, when it's all connected up, they won't have to send the man in the van around to adjust your thermostat or even to cut your supply. They'll be able to do it remotely. Is that what's going on? Could I be fear-mongering maybe? I don't think I'm fear-mongering. I think it's pretty obvious. And speaking of climate change, we were sweating our... I'm not going to swear today. We were sweating profusely during the very warm days a week or so ago, the Monday and the Tuesday, when it got exceedingly warm, didn't it? It started on the Sunday. I, I went to Old Trafford on the Sunday. I needed a break from the studio rebuild. And me and my mate Tez went to see India play England in the one-day international at Old Trafford. And we had quite a good day out. We, we roasted, sweltered there. But of course it got worse on the Monday and the Tuesday. North African desert winds. Levante moving into southern Spain. It isn't unprecedented, this. But, of course, they jumped on it and they said it's down to climate change. And I think today so-called experts have been going on television. I'm not going to play you any of the audio. But so-called experts have been going on television saying that climate change is like 12 times as likely to be responsible for the two very hot days we had the week before last. Which, dear listener, could not, I don't think... All right, it's my it's it's my opinion. This is subjectivity, right? Uh, uh, it's not a heat wave, is it? A heat wave is something that goes on for a few weeks, or for quite a number of days. We had two very warm days. Temperatures got to forty degrees in some parts of the country. Up here in Salford, it was a sweltering thirty-eight. But uh, constitutes a heat wave? I wouldn't imagine so. That is my opinion, by the way. Anywho, the BBC's weather forecasters are complaining today about what they are calling unprecedented or unprecedented trolling during the two days in question. So during the two days, the weather forecasters were going on and on and on. The, 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 the UK's television and radio presenters never shut up about the heat all day long. They put out report after report after report about climate change and this becoming more common as the years go on. At no time, dear listener, did they think to mention that last year was the coldest summer on record. Would you believe? Nobody thought to mention that. That the UK summer of 2021 was the coldest on record. Nobody thought to be a fair journalist, a decent journalist, an honest journalist, uh, an objective journalist and say, listen, we're getting our knickers in a twist about two exceptionally warm days, but it was miserable last summer. 
But if we look back at the news reports about the weather last summer, I'm assuming, I can't remember, they probably blamed the lower temperatures on climate change too. But weather forecasters are cheesed off today. They said that they never experienced anything like the trolling they received online during the two days, the Monday and the Tuesday. They got a lot of abuse, apparently, from people shouting at them on Twitter, shouting at them about fear-mongering. It's warm. Get over it. You know? Close the curtains. Put something on the windows to deflect the heat. It's bloody warm. That's all it is. Weather forecasters and meteorologists. Alex Deakin, the Met Office's lead meteorologist, complained, saying it's scary in some ways. The trolling is scary because people don't believe in climate change. He said it's scary that some of the great minds in climate science um, are being trolled. He says, show a bit of respect and do a bit more research, he said, rather than just believe Bob down the pub or Tony on YouTube. But Professor Ian Plymer is one of the great peer-reviewed experts on this subject and you won't allow him on the BBC. They won't allow him on, they won't interview him. They certainly won't review his book, Green Murder. So it's not Tony on YouTube, Bob down the pub or Auntie Doris, is it? It's, it happens every now and then. You've got the desert wind, and the African desert wind that blankets southern Spain. It moves north. It's very warm. I remember once when it hit Spain the first time, for the first time when we lived there, I think we'd been in Spain about three months, this um, desert wind, this north African wind hit us. We were outside. We, we left the apartment to go to the bar, Caroline's bar, Cheers bar, which was a bar that she ran. And you walk outside the door, it's the hairdryer in the face. It's horrendous. It's, 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 it's rough, all right. These things happen. It's not climate change. There's a legitimate reason for the two hot days. It's got nothing to do with climate change. Last summer was the coldest on record, but they don't want to tell you that, do they? Not today, anyway. The time is uh, 21 minutes, or 22 minutes, in fact, to the top of the hour. Back with more in a couple of minutes. All I wanted was a sweet distraction for an hour or two. Had no intention to do the things we've done. Said these words before, but now I. Really 
Yeah, Rita Coolidge and All Time High from Octopussy, James Bond. You'll always find a James Bond film on ITV2 or ITV4, just in case you're wondering there. Nice to be with you this afternoon. It's 19 minutes to 4 o'clock, just in case you need to be somewhere. I'm going to open up my messages again on the website. Bear with me while I do that, please. It's taking me a while to open this blooming thing. All the best laid plans of mice and men. Loads of planning gone into this afternoon. You wouldn't think so, would you? Would you? Hang on, hang on there. Yeah, so the foosball is back this weekend. I'm going to Old Trafford on Sunday to watch Rio Vallecano in a friendly against Manchester United. That's what I'm going to do. Vicky says, I've had the last four days without a working boiler. And guess what, says Vicky. I survived. It's all good now, she says. It turns out that it was the gas meter and not the boiler. Its battery was dead. Who knew meters had batteries? I didn't. I wouldn't have known. I'd have had to call somebody as well, Vicky. You know, the things that we don't know that we should know. Pavlova says, glad you're back, Richie. Thank you very much. And has sent me a link to something concerning the German-European Union uh, MEP, Christine Anderson, the global walkout. Thanks for that. I'll check it out. And I declare that's Irish Clare, formerly of New Zealand. How are you doing, Clare? Richie, I read a book recently called The End of the World is Just the Beginning. That's the name of the book. The End of the World is Just the Beginning. It's uh, by a guy called Peter Zihan. It's a terrifying read about the collapse in globalisation and its implications on how our world will look moving forward. With most of our countries now in a population collapse due to low birth rates. The future looks pretty grim. Resources and access to those resources will be the key, says Claire. Peter Zihan. Interesting. Thanks, Claire. Davy says, great to see you back, Richie. Uh, been along two uh, weeks without the banter. He says, it's been a long two weeks without the banter. Thanks, Davy. It has been a long two weeks been pretty stressful too and peter says have you heard about the drag queen story our richie and mad mix he said is on the case now just before i came on i did see in my inbox an email from uh, from martin martin noakes the great martin noakes by the way who's produced mad mix amongst many other things martin is brilliant so I, i've not looked at it yet but i understand that there's been a couple of incidents where parents have actually managed to put a stop to Drag Queen Story Hour. Drag Queen Story Hour, if you've never heard of it, I think it might have originated in the United States, did it? And it migrated here to the UK. It's this idea that it's good for children to be confronted by um, people in drag and, and also by transgender people. Not to be confronted by them, but to be, to be introduced to them in the classroom via things like drag queen story hour and that this will help the development of the child and it will mean long term the child isn't likely to be bigoted or to hold prejudices against people whose biological sex doesn't conform with their gender identity that's not specifically to do with drag queens i know that i'm not stupid stupid but yes i i've read where it's been stopped where parents have said enough is enough now You'll find that parents from the so-called Asian community, there is no such thing as an Asian community, but you'll find that, well, I suppose there is. There is. There are parts of the country where you do have neighbourhoods which will be predominantly Asian. Yes, okay, I, I, I take that on board as well. 
But the Asians, uh, the Muslims, I think, are pretty good when it comes to this sort of thing. You know, when it comes to stepping in and saying, hey, listen, listen now, we, we won't have our children being asked to, to try and comprehend very complex issues. We're not going to have it. Just leave them alone kind of a thing. On that, this is interesting. This story broke yesterday, but let me read, allow me to read you from today's Times. Tavistock, a controversial NHS clinic that led the way in prescribing puberty blockers to children who questioned their gender is being shut down. The Gender Identity Development Service at Tavistock and Portman NHS Trust will close next spring after a review found that it was not a safe or viable long-term option. The clinic in North London has been accused of rushing teenagers into life-altering treatment on hormone-blocking drugs. Legal experts said the trust could now be sued by patients who felt they did not receive the right treatment funnily enough dear listener there were a couple of such patients there were two such patients doing the rounds of the conservative media today two patients who went through Tavistock and who did have irreversible treatment and now feel that they were treated they certainly weren't treated with the proper care and attention so they are being sued anyway the Times article goes on care will be handed over to children's hospitals which the NHS says will offer a more holistic approach with strong links to mental health services. From now on, under-16s will be given puberty blockers on the NHS only as part of a clinical trial, allowing data to be accrued on their long-term effects. The Tavistock Clinic has been overwhelmed by a 20-fold increase in referrals in the past decade, leading to unacceptable waiting lists. More than 5,000 children were referred there last year compared with 138 10 years ago. It's madness, isn't it? Listen to Kate McCann of Talk TV. She's speaking to the Times Health correspondent Eleanor Hayward, who uh, broke the story. So just tell us what led up to today's announcement. So this decision has been taken by NHS England and it's in response to a report by Dr Hilary Cass and she's a top paediatrician and she's been leading a review into gender identity services for children and has found that raised concerns that the care isn't safe and isn't a viable option and that's partly due to this huge rise in demand that we've seen for gender services over the past decade. So 5,000 children were referred to the clinic last year and that's a 20-fold increase on the number a decade ago. That's huge, isn't it? Yeah, and so, so that means you've got huge waiting lists and children aren't getting the care they need because the clinic can't manage this demand. Mm. Um, and there's also been concerns raised about the treatments the clinic is offering the children, in, particularly puber in particular puberty blockers. Um, and these are drugs that block the release of sex hormones for young teenagers and children. Um, but there's not really that much evidence about them. So we don't really know the long-term impacts. We don't know side effects they could have on fertility or on the development of the brain. And so Hilary Cass has you know, raised these concerns and said, we really need to know more about these drugs before we're handing them out to children. Yeah. And what's going to happen to these services now? Because they're not going to be decommissioned, are they? No. So the Tavistock Clinic will close next spring. And children who are questioning their gender identity, they'll still be cared for by the NHS, but they'll be looked after in existing specialist children's hospitals. 
Um, so the NHS have announced that two new clinics will be set up, and the first is at Great Ormond Street Hospital in London, and the second is at Older Hay Hospital in Merseyside. Um, and these hopefully will provide a more holistic care for the children, so it will bring together existing services, mm. particularly in mental health, um, in hormone treatment and in autism as well, because about one in three children referred to the service at the minute do have autistic traits. That's fascinating. So that mental health focus is going to be really important. Mm, really important. Now, Debbie Hayton is a teacher and a trans woman. She's been on the Richie Allen Show a few times. This is Debbie, here she is speaking with Kevin O'Sullivan. Look at what's been going on uh, with some children and, quotes not a safe or viable long-term option. Do you think under 16 should be treated in this fashion, Debbie? And it's not Kevin O'Sullivan, it's Nick Ferrari of LBC. Forgive me, Debbie Hayton. I don't think I don't think there's any place for hormone therapy or certainly for surgery among the under under 18s. I think these are adult decisions that adults need to make with adult bodies. Uh, we can't we can't expect children to be able to give informed consent to treatment which will have permanent consequences and will lifelong consequences for them. The NHS talk of a more holistic approach and I quote again with strong links to mental health services. Is that important? And if so, how important, Debbie? I think, I think it's vital, actually, Nick. I think uh, these are children presenting often with complex and multiple mental health issues. And what's been happening is they've been identified as trans, they've been labelled as trans children, and then they've been packed off to the Tavistock for a specific line of treatment. Instead, we should be treating them close to home by uh, mental health professionals who can assess them and then and then work out a bespoke programme of treatment that assesses all the issues that these children have, not just one. Debbie Hayton there speaking with Nick Ferrari. Thanks for your messages, by the way. Joanne says, Richie, lovely to hear you. Happy to be tuned back into the show and to the whole, excuse me, the whole Richie Allen family. Thanks, Joanne. Paul says, Richie, nice to hear you back. It's been three weeks, not two, he says. And during that time, half of the cast of Goodfellas has died. Have they? Have they? I know the the gentleman, although I don't think he was a gentleman in his in his younger years, but the man who played Paulie Galtieri in The Sopranos, who also had a part in, a small part in Goodfellas, I know he passed away. But I don't know who else passed away. You've got to, got to tell me who. Faisal says there is no one Asian or Muslim community. There are many individual communities which may look like one community, but they are not. He says, William says, drag queens turn his stomach. They remind him of something from a horror film. It's not that bad, William. I used to go and see Alan Amsby in Waterford sometimes when he would appear. Alan Amsby is a comedian known as Mr. Pussy and would, uh, would basically tell jokes and drag. He was all right. Joan says, thank God Richie's back. Thank God, Joan. Uh, same shite in Canada going on. Five doctors in Toronto died in July. Suddenly. Wonder why, she says. Happy Friday. Really? Then she says she forgets. She forgot to mention doctors all from the same hospital, apparently. Uh, the fourth dose of COVID jabs became available in July. So very sad. One of the doctors was indeed a triathlete. Who knows, Joan? Who knows? But we are, what are we now? We are the 29th of July. Pretty soon, we'll be into August. Pretty soon, into September. Then they'll be talking about the fourth jabs and the fifth jabs. We've all, uh, we've got all of that to come. So maybe don't get into it now, Richie. Okay, I hear you. Loud and clear, it's time for another tune. Is it? 
it's always time for a tune. Uh, thanks for being with me this Friday afternoon. Just to let you know, we're back to normal as of Sunday morning. Sunday morning melodies will broadcast live from this studio with me from 10 o'clock UK time. And the Richie Allen Show itself is back, of course, on Monday. That's Monday. Yeah, at 5 o'clock UK time. Yeah. That's right, 5 o'clock UK time this coming Monday. This is Fleetwood Mac and Everywhere from the year 1988. That's the year that it was a hit, 1988. I'll be with you for another half an hour thereabouts, I think, today. Kind of having a dry run or a run-in of, uh, of the gear, of the new studio gear. Fleetwood Mac and everywhere. David Frost is written in the Telegraph today. David Frost, Lord Frost. Have a listen to this. The headline accompanying the article reads like so. It reads, we must never surrender our right to drive freely. We must never surrender our right to drive freely. Driving has allowed us to express ourselves and avert socialist planners. No wonder they want to kill it. Let me... Allow me, dear listener, to read a little bit of it for you. Who can imagine, writes David Frost, a world in which private cars are banned? Even in the Soviet Union, if you can get one, 
they don't stop you driving it around. No government is going to take people's cars away from them. Well, Western governments haven't quite done that, it is true, but there are advocates for car bans in some large cities, and one day some feeble red-stroke-green mayor somewhere in Europe will surely give in to it. Meanwhile, all our leaders are doing Excuse me. Meanwhile, our leaders are doing everything short of it. For a start, the best currently viable technology for cars, the internal combustion engine plus battery, is being withdrawn from the market in just eight years. We are told that by then, electric cars will be better and cheaper. It is hard to be confident of that or that we will have the electricity to power them, writes David Frost. There is obviously no substitute for the car outside urban areas, but even in big cities, public transport will never do everything we need. It runs where the planners want it and when the transport unions allow it. Not everyone wants to travel to the city centre or along a tube line. Only the private car, under autonomous control, can take you where you want to go. Too many of our modern rulers would rather you didn't. That's why... They like low-traffic neighbourhoods, or LTNs. Their hidden agenda is to make car use painful and complicated, not just within LTNs, but beyond them. And indeed, LTNs do not displace traffic. They kill it. Car use falls through congestion, often still increases. Let me read that again. Car use falls, though congestion often still increases. Yes, he's saying the car use falls, but the congestion, supposed to be alleviated by less car use, in fact, increases. People who could get to the shops, to family or friends nearby, no longer can. Even in modern London, not everyone is a hipster urbanite on their bike. Instead, horizons permanently shrink and life gets more complicated, harder and costlier. In our planners' minds, the car can only survive on certain terms. Cars must be super safe. Plodding. Ugly boxes like armoured troop carriers. There must be GPS-linked speed limiters and road pricing so the government knows where you are and can control when you go out. Really, they would rather you didn't own a car at all but hired it by the hour instead. Yet cars are so much more than that. They are about a way of life that seems to be disappearing fast. And Frost writes, cars are about freedom going where you want and no one's saying that you can't. That's why they are associated with growing up. One of the most depressing signs today is that many young people can't drive and don't want to. Hey listen, I can't not mention this. You might remember a a year ago, Sky News did a report on the Richie Allen show. It was a brief report. It only ran four or five times one particular evening. But um, somebody at Sky picked up a story that I published on richieallen.co.uk about climate lockdowns. About how I felt that in the future, you might be prohibited from driving your car at certain times. And I, I don't know, I put it out there that they might tie it into, you know, say, I don't know, say if you lived on Langworthy Road in Salford. So they might say, okay, on the second and fourth weekends of each month, you can take your car out if your house number or apartment number ends in an odd number. So one five one three five seven nine eleven so on, you get to drive week two, week four at the weekend. Uh, but on the other two weekends you can't take your car out. 
in order to reduce your carbon footprint. And he's talking about that in the article today. Anyway, Sky ridiculed this and said that, you know, fake news merchants like the Richie Allen Show are fear-mongering and, you know, making up any old garbage to uh, to get people to come to their websites. But, of course, nothing could be further from the truth. I said it because I believed it to be true. And here we are. We're getting there. Not slowly but surely, but at the speed of light. David Frost writing in The Telegraph today. They're coming for the cars. At the time, it's just gone 4 o'clock, by the way. In case you need to know that at the top of the air, you might have to pick somebody up. Uh, school's out for summer, so you won't be doing the school run today. Not this Friday, anyhow. I was going to do something about beach bodies in Spain, but I won't do that because it's just ridiculous, really. Every woman's body is beach ready, says Spanish advert. Go on, I'll do it anyway. As Spain is taking on what it calls aesthetic violence. That's a direct quote. Aesthetic or aesthetic. Aesthetic violence against women's bodies. Apparently, plus-sized women don't feel comfortable on the beach. and They should feel comfortable. They shouldn't be fat-shamed. And Spain is legislating for this. This is lunacy. This is lunacy. Do you know, I was reading the Mail Online, as well as the Telegraph, as well as the Times, and the Daily Mirror today, and I saw that one council in the UK wants to make growing up in care a protected characteristic, meaning that you could make a claim that you are being discriminated against because you grew up in care. Protected carry. I'm not joking. I've talked so much about this stuff over the years, about the vulnerable groups which get bigger and they get more and more. We, we, they become more numerous. As time goes on, we, we get new vulnerable groups all the time, new groups of people who must not be spoken about. And must not must not be spoken to unless you are speaking to them in the terms laid down by them, dictated by them, the vulnerable group itself. I am a vulnerable group. Here are the terms within which you can address me and speak about me. Madness, yes. If you grew up in care, protected characteristic, you know, you could be discriminated against on the basis that you grew up in care. It's all mad. In Spain... They're uh, legislating for the right of plus-sized women to go to the beach or the beaches of Spain and not be looked at. Uh, the Interior Minister, is she the Interior Minister? No, she's the Minister for Equality, Irene Montero. She said, all bodies are valid and we have the right to enjoy life as we are without guilt or shame. Let's toast, she says, to a summer for all without stereotypes and Aesthetic violence against our bodies. But what does aesthetic violence mean? Does it mean looks? Does it mean a second look? I mean, you can't help having a second look, can you? If you're on the beach and you, you, you look to the left, the beautiful woman on the beach, you're going to have a look again, right? And equally, if you're on the beach and you look to the right and you see a very, very large lady with a very skimpy costume, you're, you're bound to. It's, 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 it's an involuntary movement. You can't stop yourself looking back. They're legislating for this stuff. They're going to put people in jail. No, it doesn't say they're going to put people in jail. I better be honest about it, lest I be accused of um, exaggerating. More music. When we come back, we're going to talk about civil servants working for the government, being told about... Um, how Britain is racist. Now, I know we've done this sort of thing before, but this is really interesting and I think really important. 
Yeah, this is a cure on Friday. I'm in love on uh, whatever this is today, boy. boy. I don't know what it is. What is it? It's uh, just me having a chat with you. Back with uh, white civil servants told that Britain is racist in woke training video. This from The Telegraph today. I think it's worth chatting about and hearing a bit more about. It's five past four, by the way. The Cure and Friday, I'm in love. It is uh, eight minutes past four, incidentally, the 29th of July, 2022. School's out for summer. Are you in that situation? Do you have children? And are you just absolutely plagued trying to entertain them now for the next six weeks? Or are you going on your holliers? Are you? Let me know. Please let me know. In the time we have left. This is, look, woke wars, culture wars. How often have you and I spoken about how Identity politics is used to distract people, to divide people, to get people discussing things that are not really that important, while much more important things, much more important things are ignored uh, or are not understood by people. But as, as much as you and I probably know that's obvious, 
I think it is important to to remark on these stories when when they do come across our desks or across our social media accounts. So this in the Telegraph: White civil servants told Britain is racist in woke training video. Subheading the program tells staff they must recognise their privilege, be an ally to ethnic minorities, and never contradict them. Now, the this is interesting to me because the the uh, my better half has been invited by her company to take part in unconscious bias training, and she's been encouraged and then she's been told look the company expects you to do it now about a year and a half ago she was invited no 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 this predated covid the scamdemic so about two and a half years ago she was asked when she was still working from the office would she be interested in coming to meet with lgbt staff i don't know how many lgbt lgbt staff the company had in its employ at the time. But they said, look, do you want to come and sit down and listen to their experiences? Now, to her eternal credit, El Frogo Tremendo said, no thanks, not interested. What do I need to... Why why would I want to sit down and listen to my colleague talking about the experience of being gay? Not interested in it. She said, and it's a phrase I've borrowed since, the sexuality of the person in question is about the least important thing. You know, when it comes to me getting to know them, I don't care what they are. Um, and that was okay. There was a bit of um, raised eyebrows, one or two frowns, but she was left alone. But they're encouraging the unconscious bias training. Now, if I know my better half, if they push it and push it, um, they'll push her out the door. She won't do it. Um, even remotely, even online, she won't do it. And she's quite right. Listen to this, The Telegraph. Civil servants are being taught that Britain is a racist country and that white officials should never contradict people from ethnic minorities. The Telegraph can disclose. A training video for civil servants at the Department for Leveling Up, Housing and Communities, which is in charge of race relations, said white civil servants should be aware of their privilege. It urges white people to become allies of ethnic minorities by standing up for them, telling officials, quote, when we become an ally... This primarily means acknowledging that we, ourselves, are part of a society, norm, culture or a system that is racist. And it said white allies should be a supporter. That's a quote, by the way, a supporter, meaning they listen and do not contradict. That's a quote as well. They do not contradict ethnic minority people. On what, though? Contradict on what? Are they talking about if an ethnic minority person says, well, my experience is that Britain is racist? Does that mean you shouldn't contradict them? Or are they talking about something to do with the job? Because it might be to do with how you carry out the specific aspect of the job. So if an ethnic minority person is doing something at work that might affect productivity, are you not supposed to say to them, listen, you're doing it wrong. But I'm being an arsehole now, maybe. I think it's down to if the ethnic minority person brings up their experience of racism, that you're not supposed to contradict them. Well, why would you contradict them? If somebody from a minority background, a person of colour said, you know, I was racially abused one time, why would you disbelieve them? You know, I'm, I'm sure it happens, right? Okay, you wouldn't do that. But if they said that Britain is a racist society, they're asking you not to, to, to step in and say, well, I don't think it is really. 
Don't contradict, says the report. Uh, the existence of the video has caused consternation, according to the Telegraph, whose source said uh, the civil service is running a parallel policy to the government on diversity and inclusion in the name of social justice. Uh, the term white privilege is no place in government. This divisive nonsense is designed to brainwash thousands of civil servants with an ideological agenda. So the Telegraph goes on to talk about what it means to be a race ally. I don't like this. I've spoken with you about this many times. Silence is violence. This is a dangerous idea, by the way, that silence is violence. A dangerous idea. The idea that you can say, well, look, I've got no opinion. I'm not interested, like, not interested. This is going to become an untenable position, I believe. This is my little... You know, I, I put these things out there and I'm wrong more often than I'm right. We, we both know that, right? But I think in the future, adopting a position of, well, I will hold my counsel, thank you very much, or I'm not interested, that will become untenable. And it will become punishable, I think, through a social credit system. Richie, what do you think of gay people? I'm, I have no opinion, really. Well, no, no, you're not supposed to say that. You're supposed to declare yourself to be an ally of the LGBT plus community. You've got to declare yourself to be. You see those uh, New Zealand, or was it Australian? Help me out here. My pal Tez, who's a rugby league fanatic, said that um, th there was a big kerfuffle in New Zealand or Australia because a men's professional rugby league team had imposed upon it, just for one game apparently, a, a jersey that had been decorated with the rainbow the LGBT plus Q plus whatever rainbow. And the lads were like, some of the lads were like, nah, nah, I'm not wearing that. Apparently they weren't even consulted. So there's been a bit of a row about this. This is the sort of thing I'm talking about. In the future, you won't be able to avoid it. If you want to stay in a job, basically. Will you wear the rainbow? You will today. No. Why? Well, none of your business. I'm not wearing the rainbow. It's pathetic. It's, it's ludicrous. It's patronising. You know, a gay person should assume should just assume that I don't give a rat's arse about their sexuality. They should assume that. I don't have to go and make a proclamation publicly that I'm fine with gayness or lesbianness. I shouldn't have to, right? I'm not against anything like that, but I shouldn't have to declare that. Judge me by my actions. Just had a cup of tea with Bill over there. Bill's uh, been married to Paul for 40 years. Bill's all right. Couldn't give a shit really about Bill and, and who he goes to bed with. But this is deadly serious. So they're saying you have to be a race ally. So they're, they're getting civil servants to watch videos about allyship. That's, that's, not, that's not even a word, by the way. But, but they've used this word, allyship. A-L-L-Y-S-H-I-P. How to be a race ally. How to stand up for ethnic minorities. To be visibly doing stuff all the time. To make people comfortable. To make people from ethnic backgrounds or minority ethnic backgrounds comfortable. You've got to be doing stuff all the time. And this um, video goes on to say, you may experience many other struggles and challenges. You may experience many other struggles and challenges through life, but they are very unlikely to be related to your race. Because of this, adding your voice to anti-racism can help to amplify your message, support your colleagues and give them time to heal and recover from a fight they've been having for their entire lives, often for generations. Jesus wept, that's ridiculous, isn't it? Adding your voice to anti-racism can help amplify your message 
and help your colleagues who have been fighting racism for their entire life. Right. And it goes on. This is really important. You are an ally if you believe that people who are from an ethnic minority face discrimination and can be socially and economically disadvantaged at work and that ethnic minority colleagues should enjoy full equality. You're an ally if you sign up to this idea. But it's nonsense. Not everybody from an ethnic minority faces discrimination, right? Not everyone. And certainly not everyone all the time. Right? I would say. White allies can provide a louder and sometimes more impactful voice than those in other communities. They are more likely to be believed when discussing, discussing these issues, enabling them, the white allies, to effectively increase awareness of racism among colleagues who might not ordinarily engage. Becoming a great ally means that we spend some time learning and unlearning some of our own behaviours. When we become an ally, this primarily means acknowledging that we ourselves are part of a society, norm, culture or a system that is racist. It goes on, does this training, I won't uh, bore you with too much more of it, it goes on to urge allies to become cheerleaders for people of colour. Jesus. And how to jump in to help to amplify the ideas of people from minority ethnic backgrounds. Jump in there and, and amplify when somebody of colour has an idea in a meeting, you don't think it's being paid attention to enough or you don't think it's getting enough attention, jump in. Stand up for the ethnic minority. Part. This is crazy shit this, isn't it? Isn't it? Because I suppose ultimately the, the long-term goal really is not to worry too much about you know, adults in employment because eventually there won't be any jobs. This is about children, isn't it? Ultimately, getting children to a place where they believe that, you know, every encounter they have with someone is a vulnerable person. It's with a vulnerable person who needs to be treated. Um, treated on the subjective terms, but laid down by the vulnerable group itself or by the protector of the vulnerable group, which is the government. It's crazy stuff, isn't it? Um, let's have a listen to some comment on that. He says... As, He's lost his page. Uh, here's Nick Buckley. Nick is an MBE. Fair play to him. And he's a writer, speaking to Talk TV. Britain is a racist country. I don't think it is, do you? It's absolutely not, absolutely not a racist country. Racism is so rare in the UK. I, it's like elbow cancer. I'm sure some people have elbow cancer in the UK, but it's that rare. We don't have to worry about it. When we talk about racism now, what we mean is hurting words. That's really all we mean, hurty words. Mm. And if I was a civil servant and went on that training course, I probably wouldn't want to speak to a black colleague ever again in case I get accused of something, in case it's a microaggression. But this is all devices, divisive nonsense. And the irony is this training course is part of the levelling up department. So we're trying to level up the poor areas of the country by teaching the civil servants that racism is an epidemic and these poor white people, these poor white kids don't need any help. And this video is three years old. This training is three years old now. And we've done nothing about it. The government have done absolutely nothing about it. 
Uh, let me just uh, quote uh, from this training vi video, Nick. Um, for many of us who are white uh, or white passing, whatever that means, uh, meaning that uh, we are often identified as white in public spaces, uh, the colour of let's just, I don't even know what that means. So let's let's cut that sentence out. Right. For many of us who are white, uh, the colour of our skin, our race or ethnicity has not had a negative impact on our lives. We call this white privilege. So what they're saying is everyone who's white uh, lives a fantastic life with no prejudice against them or anything, and that's called white privilege. Well, the thing is, if you're one of these white kids that we're talking about, these white working-class kids, the forgotten generation, if you like, uh, I think they are, people are prejudiced against them. You know, they're, they're dismissed as, uh, you know, uh, surplus to requirements. Kids who, you know, probably take drugs, don't, don't want to pursue careers, don't go to university. He does drone on, does the presenter, Kevin O'Sullivan. I know uh, the irony, the irony, the irony. Yes, I do drone on myself from time to time. It's 22 minutes past the hour. A load of interest in this. Let me read a few comments before I take my leave of you today. Listen, I'm back on Sunday. It begins on Sunday, for real. We said the Melodies programme on Sunday at uh, 10 o'clock, and then on Monday, the Richie Allen Show is back at 5. Thanks for your messages today. John says, I think these people are going to try and send things back to segregation. They're insane. Hi to Rich M, by the way. Hi, Rich. Chris says, it's crazy times. The most underprivileged group in the UK are white working class boys. Happening right there. Daza says the irony is the Australian rugby side who wouldn't wear the Rainbow Alphabet Society shirt are known as manly. That's right. Yes, that rings a bell. My pal Tez sent me the story. It's called Manly. Uh, they should have seen it coming, really, says Daza. Uh, Scottish Al says next year I won't be able to drive my car into Glasgow city centre due to their low emission zone. That's being introduced now. I work for the council and use my car to drive to jobs, many of which will be inside this zone. I'm going to keep my car, and if they want me to go to any jobs inside the zone, they can provide me with transport to get there. The car is 16 years old and still runs perfectly, so why should I be forced to spend thousands on a new one? That's a really good point, Scottish Al. Absolutely right. Thank you for that. Thank you, thank you. Listen, thanks um, for your messages today. Lots of them. I really appreciate it. It's, it's nice to be doing something and back again. Hi to Colin. Uh, in Kerry, Aidan Colley says, Good afternoon, Richie. Uh, regarding the bill, he says, it's sounding well. Nice start of the weekend having you on a Friday afternoon. Hi to Stefan too. How you doing, Stefan? Hi to Jojo as well. How you doing, Jojo? To uh, Lola. To everybody else who messaged in, thanks. I really appreciate it. It's good uh, to be back with you. It really is. A brand spanking new BBG Towers here in Salford. So that's uh, about it, really. Yeah, the, the football is back much earlier than you'd expect it to be back. That's because there's a World Cup this winter in Qatar. Qatar, Qatar. How do you pronounce it? I have no idea. Not got a Scooby-Doo as to how you pronounce it, but uh, that's why they've come back so early. Uh, friendlies this weekend for the Premier League clubs, but the Championship kicks off this weekend. In fact, as was pointed out earlier on, there are live games. If that's your bag, enjoy. Look, that's it for me. We'll speak uh, on Sunday at 10 o'clock UK time, richieallen.co.uk, fabradiointernational.com and the programme is, of course, on the TuneIn app as well. Thanks to all the TuneIn app people uh, for all of their help and their encouragement. I uh, really appreciate that too. <laughs>
Have a fantastic weekend. See you Sunday. Bye.